Good morning, church family. The peace of the Lord be with you. It is good to see so many of you here this morning and some new faces as well. We trust and we pray that you would feel the presence of God through His Spirit and the warm hospitality of this Christian community. These are some of the best people in Calgary. I'm just saying. And Adri. I don't know if we're there yet. Can we include Adri? Should we? Okay, we'll adopt them. Um, but wherever you're from, we welcome you this morning. Before I read the scripture, and before we actually pray, I, I, I was cleaning my office this past week. Does anybody ever get that spring cleaning feeling way too early when the Chinook totally messes you up? <laughs> and as I was going through my books, and I have some extra books on a table out front, and if you're interested in a free book or two, you're welcome to look at them. I came across, I'm not sure if the word is, is patina when, when, when things wear off on metal objects. Is that when it has a patina? None of you know, okay? <laughs> I'm going to go with that. It has kind of a patina look to it. It's a type note that um, my mother had in her Bible. And, um, whew, don't do that, because then I start crying. I'm, I'm in that age now. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> Lack of sleep, perhaps. Uh, uh, but my name is right in the top here, Stuart, and this was in my mom's Bible. Now, I did not appreciate this much when she gave it to me. <laughs> but this week, um, Jennifer Lavoirs, I showed her this note, and she said to me, have you given that to your kids? So I printed it and laminated it and gave it to my children. And I thought I would just read the wisdom that my mom passed on to me. The note says, especially for teenagers. <laughs> Don't let your parents down. They brought you up. Choose your companions with care. You become what they are. Be master of your habits, or your habits will master you. Treasure your time. Don't spend it. Invest it. Stand for something or you will fall for anything. This is a tough one to hear when I was a teenager. Select only a date who will make a good mate. <laughs> so a parent say amen. See what you can do for others, not what they can do for you. Guard your thoughts, what you think you are. Don't fill up on the world's crumbs. Feed your soul on the living bread. Give your all to Christ. He gave his all 
for you. Let no man despise your youth. Young people, we love you. We're not always perfect. We don't always get it right as parents. Some of you make it hard to get it right. But we want to know, want you to know, that we desire nothing less than God's very best for each one of you. And we pray that we may be a church that shows you, that directs you, that loves you in the ways of God. Amen? If you want a copy of this note, I'm happy to photocopy and laminate one for you. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to pray a prayer together as we prepare to hear the reading of Scripture. And I will do my best to be clear, concise, and convicted. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as your Scriptures are read and your Word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, that is, John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
I think two things are important in this text if we are to understand what it's about. The first is an understanding of what the word repentance really means, and equally significant, an understanding of what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were to go to Wikipedia, or Merriam-Webster, or Oxford, those dictionaries would define repentance as a, a feeling of remorse and contrition. Doesn't quite land well yet, because the idea of repentance is more than just the feeling of regret or remorse for what has been done or not done, but it is the willingness to, in humility, depart from the way of life that has led you to do that which you are remorseful for in pursuit of a different way of life. To put it within the text, to repent for the kingdom comes near is to turn away from alternative understandings of the kingdom to embrace the way of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. So, in a nutshell, repentance is not just what we feel and the forgiveness we seek, but requires a change in course and direction in life. It is a movement away from an allegiance to anything else that would replace the lordship and the significance of the will of God for our life. Repentance is essential to participating in the work of God in the here and now. Kingdom of heaven. The Jewish people had a high regard, a deep reverence for the name of God. Yahweh is a derivative name that they used so that they would not speak the name of God because they had such a high regard for His name. When the Bible uses the word or the phrase, when Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, He is therefore doing what devout Jews would have done very naturally. Instead of saying God's name, they would replace God with heaven. That means this, that if we are to understand this text, it is not speaking about the place we go to one day when we die, but it is speaking about the reign of God in the present that Jesus made possible when He came to earth. The kingdom of heaven is not in this particular text the escape from the world, but it is God through Christ bringing the way of God, the way of heaven to earth. It is Jesus who teaches his disciples to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is the answer to that prayer for he comes to establish the ways of God 
in the present human existence. But when Jesus said kingdom, he was saying dangerous words. Now, I got to just pause for a moment. And I don't know if it's just me. My wife chastised me beautifully last week. Have you ever been chastised beautifully? No? She's got a brilliant way. I don't see it coming. I don't ever see it. She said, you got to stop asking for an amen. Now, <laughs> I think part of why I do that is because when I communicate, I am so concerned that it's connecting with you. Now, you help me to preach really well, by the way, when you look interested. <laughs> so some of you have to change your disposition right now. <laughs> kingdom of heaven, substitute for the word kingdom of God, the reign of God. Jesus comes to bring that to earth. But you know the Jews, including John the Baptist, who departs the scene in this particular text, anticipated the kingdom. They anticipated that God would send his Messiah. And the anticipations of this coming kingdom was rooted both in the, in the sense that God had called them to be his special people. God had set them aside to be the chosen people of God. According to the calling that he placed on their patriarch, Abraham, that they would be a light unto the nations. So Israel had this special designation. And if I was to preach on Israel, I would say this, which I'm not going to say here, but I am going to say it. Sometimes when we think we're special, without purpose, we act in unbecoming ways to what makes us special in the first place. And so Israel is called of God to be this light unto the nations, and through their own sin and rebellion and refusing to live with justice and righteousness and mercy, they find themselves exiled. They are liberated powerfully by God from Egyptian slavery to be a light unto the nations, but as they inhabit the very land that God promised they would have and through whom he would bless other nations and make them a witness. They live in contrary ways to the ways of God and they find themselves in exile and in darkness. They find themselves ruled. They find themselves governed. They find themselves bound by people because of their own doing. And so when Jesus comes and announces that the kingdom is finally here, those who've been living under the oppressive thumb of Assyria and Babylon and now of Rome were ready for a revolution. They were thinking it's about time that God reigns and we are in charge. It's about time that things are put to the right. The kingdom that the people longed for would, however, not be the kingdom that Jesus would bring. And as John fades into the background, as he is arrested, and we know Herod, the puppet leader of Rome, would have him executed because he stood up against Herod's illegal marriage 
to the sister of to the wife of his brother before john would be beheaded there is this encounter in matthew where john is is showing us that even though he expected the messiah and the coming of the kingdom that he did not quite understand what that kingdom was really about so to be fair to John, I, I want to say this, that today, it is hard for us, other than to think of the royals in the UK, to understand kingdom language. It, it is hard for us to make sense of what is really going on when Jesus says the kingdom has drawn near. Israel's anticipations were for some kind of change in their status through their king being in control. Their hope was is that the political realm and the, and, 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 and the economic realm would change and favor them. And yet when Jesus comes, he does not usher in a kingdom fashioned in Jewish expectation. One of the things that I think is important whenever we study the Bible is that we always ask, what did it mean for the people then, before we ask what it might mean for us today? So get this. When, John, when Jesus hears that John is imprisoned, he withdraws. Do you know that Jesus withdraws on several occasions, sometimes to prayer, but in two specific places? He withdraws when he hears what is happening to John, here at his imprisonment, and again when John is murdered. Now, the withdrawal of Jesus is interesting for a few reasons. One, he leaves Nazareth and he goes further north. In fact, if you were to take a study of the geography, you would see that he is heading uh, to the northern parts of the Sea of Galilee to a place named Capernaum. Just stay with me for a second. He, he does not withdraw because he's afraid that what has happened to John would happen to him, at least that's kind of what most biblical scholars think. He withdraws because he is going to fulfill the promise that God made to his people even though they chose another way. And so Jesus' withdrawal is not out of fear that he too will be incarcerated and potentially beheaded, but he withdraws to a region that is referenced as the Sea of Galilee, now, or the Gentiles of the, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, stay with me for a second. This region, Galilee, features in the Old Testament, not that often, referenced about five times, if I did my counting right. One of the most significant places that Galilee emerges is during the reign of Solomon, the son of one of Israel's most beloved kings, David. During Solomon's reign, he had this idea 
that he wanted to fulfill the dream of his dad, David. The dream was to build God a temple. And so, Solomon began to build God's temple in Jerusalem. It is said to have been spectacular and beautiful. But did you know that during the building of God's temple in Jerusalem, Solomon kind of made an agreement with a Gentile king named Hiram. And together, Solomon and Hiram worked on the construction of God's temple. After the construction of the temple, Solomon thought it would be just right to reward Hiram for his efforts and for his help. And you know what he does? He gives to Hiram the very land that is referenced here, the very land that God promised to his people, Solomon forfeits and gives away to a Gentile king. Right after Solomon makes this agreement and gives the territory to Hiram, the region becomes known as Kabul. Some of you are probably going, Kabul? I've heard that word before. It is still a region, still a city in Afghanistan to today. Do you know what the word Kabul means? Worthless, sterile, bound. Interesting. The region of Galilee also becomes the place that the Assyrians first invade and start taking Israel's best into exile. Interesting, because during the time of exile, the prophet Isaiah, whom Jesus quotes here, says that dawn will come and light will break into the place that has become dark. There will be a Messiah that will be called Emmanuel that will come and liberate the people. So, so here's what I'm saying. Are you still with me? Don't say amen. My wife's going to chastise me kindly. <laughs> Naphtali and Zebulun represents the place of forfeiting the promise of God. It represents the place of failure and sin and rebellion that leads to darkness. I don't know if when you think of specific places in your life that feels like dark places. Maybe another way to ask the question is, what is your Naphtali and your Zebulun? Perhaps for some of us, it's not so much thinking about a particular place, but maybe there is a, a sense that you have forfeited the grace that God has given you. Maybe there's a sense in which 
your actions and the way you have lived and, and, and in the way that you have related to others, you have exchanged the grace of God for something far more cheap. Naphtali and Zebulun is, is, is perhaps for us as individuals as we sit here, the places that, that makes us sigh deep in our soul when we think of it. You know, I, I'm surprised how many times when I prepare to preach, I feel like, man, God puts his hand on my life. You know, I, I got to be honest with you. Preaching saves me every week because it convicts me every week. It, it puts... The Word of God puts a finger on my life so that I dare not stand in front of you uh, as someone that, that does not need the same grace that I'm trying to share with you. But, but last night when I was laying on my bed, I sighed deeply because I remembered the Zebulun and the Naphtali. I remember the darkness. I remember the place where I felt like failure defined my life. I remember the place that I felt without power. The place in which others have been given authority and control over my life. I, I remember the place that feels like the place that the Scripture speaks of. But like Isaiah promised the people, the God who had made a covenant with their father Abraham that they would be a great nation on a land belonging to them, Jesus is the answer and hope for them, for he comes and picks up where they have failed by going to the very place that Isaiah prophesied would not be left dark, would not be left abandoned, and would not mark the people for the rest of generations. And Jesus comes and walks to the place that most walked away from. I uh, wonder whether today, as we hear this word spoken to us, God is inviting us to believe the prophetic word that is spoken through Jesus echoing the words of someone who spoke it thousands of years before. Light is coming to darkness. Hope is returning to despair. Liberation is coming for the bound. Freedom is coming for the imprisoned. Light shines in darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. That's the best I have. <laughs> Let that rest with some of you today. Sometimes the world feels dark, doesn't it? Sometimes our lives feel dark. 
And yet the Messiah who comes and says, repent for the kingdom is near, is saying this to us, that there's a particular way we respond to the light of Jesus. It makes no sense to continue living as if darkness wins when the scripture affirms that light has come to save. You know what's interesting? I just want to say this because I learn something new. Every time I preach, I learn something new. <laughs> the problem is I want to tell you everything I've learned, and that's never good for anybody. <laughs> Do you know that the word fishers for men, the phrase fishers for men, is not the first time it appears in the Bible when Jesus uses it? Did you know that? Did you know that it appears in the Old Testament? The prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Amos. And you know that when they use it there, they are speaking specifically when pagan nations like Assyria and Babylon would come and pluck fish, Egypt's best, or Israel's best, and take them into exile. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that Jesus takes the very same phrase that represented the failure, the powerlessness of the people. And he bursts within the called ones a new understanding that goes something like this. From within the region of Galilee, which by the way at this time was a mixture of Gentiles and Jews, God has come to bring his kingdom near, and these disciples were going to be a part of not plucking people out into exile, uh, but into freedom and into the ways and the will of God through his kingdom. Yeah. The calling of the disciples, I can preach two sermons, I probably should have, but I'm drawing to an end. No one say amen, no one, no one. I want to have my, my lunch this afternoon without any heartburn. <laughs> the kingdom of God is therefore amongst us and requires a particular posture. It requires that we allow God to shine a light on all of who we are. The motives that we have. I know you have a kingdom, Jesus, but I have a better idea for you. I know, I know, I know what I need you to be. I think the disciples like us sometimes get it wrong. We think we call God. God always calls us. And when he calls us, he is inviting us to prioritize the ways of God in our life. Listen, the calling of the disciples were unique. There probably won't be any other callings like then, but this is also the truth. Each one of us who sits here are called 
to be completely, completely sold out to the will of God for our lives. Each one of us are called to say no to anything that keeps us from the priority of Christ and His will for our lives. Listen, I know that most of us struggle to think of our Christian faith in the context of what we do. Some of you have jobs that you say to me, Stu, I don't know. I don't know how Christianity has any bearing on accounting. I don't, I, I don't dislike accounting. No, <laughs> that came out wrong. I was thinking of the most... <laughs> Let me just stop there. Apologize to all the accountants. Some of us may say, you know, come and follow me sounds like this unique calling that is only for people who would leave their vocations and go after Jesus. Maybe, maybe coming after Jesus is only for people like you, Stu, and for the missionaries that on occasion come here. But the calling that Jesus extends to his disciples, yes, as unique as it is, would extend to all disciples in this way, that we live in such a way to participate in the very kingdom that God has brought near. This is what it looks like. We are people of good news. No amens? Okay, let me... People think that good news is cheap. They think that in order for people to appreciate Jesus, they need the bad news first. Do you know what the good news of Jesus is? The good news of the kingdom is this. That sin breaks, tears, binds, harms, blinds. But Christ comes and takes all that is meant for evil upon himself so that we may live in liberation, in hope, in truth, in faith, possessing the gifts of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The good news is not just what we proclaim, but it is who we are. Ask yourself if your good news in your workplace, in your family, in your relationships, in your conversations. A second part of living in the kingdom is not just that we embody good news, but that we, um, we're a part of the restorative, healing work of God in the now. Did you know, Pastor Brittany, what was the number of people you told me this past week our food bank partnership has served over the last little bit? Over 1,900 people have received assistance through the food distribution program at Skyview. When we live in the kingdom, and we believe that the kingdom has come near, and we are people of good news, 
the good news is not just for us. The good news must find its way into the activity, into the way in which we allocate our resources and our time and our energy to the glory of God today. But the good news also means this. That those who feel like Kabul no worth no value would be plucked up by the grace of God and East Church so that they would see they are fearfully and wonderfully made. As we uh, consider the Lord's table today, there is the kind of remembering that it invites us to do. Uh, Callie and the team will come up and they're going to lead us in a song in just a moment, but I, I want to just share with you the kind of remembering this table calls for. It is not the kind of remembering that locates our faith in the past. It is the kind of remembering that says, because of what has happened, all things are possible today. So when we hear the scripture that says, do this in remembrance of me, it's not supposed to be this stodgy, uh, reminiscing, thinking that the best is behind us. That's kind of the memory that hurts the church. The reason we don't see renewal is because some of us have said, well, the best days are gone, Pastor Stu. You know what the table says? What God had done in the past, He is doing today. And what He is doing today, He will do in the future. He has broken His body. He has poured out His blood so that the world might receive His grace. And when we participate, we are remembering who we are because of what Christ has done. And so, I invite you to respond to the word that has been preached and in preparation for that which is to be received, to pray with me. Father, search our hearts. See if there's anything within us that keeps us from right relationship with you and others. Help us to recognize that when you call your people to repentance, it includes us. 
Help us to, in this very moment, confess to you the sin, the failure, the disappointment, the anger, the resentment, and all that keeps us from grace. Remind us that our failures does not have to define us. Remind us that your grace is extended to us completely so that we may be who you call us to be. In Jesus' name we ask your blessing upon these sacraments. May they be to us the symbols of your grace and love. Amen.